0: Maybe may be seated. Revelation chapter 16, continue our series in this amazing book that God has given us and promise a special blessing on those who read, hear, and do the things written therein. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. John says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Father, please help us tonight again as we look into your word. We need your help as always. Please, God, help us to cast out all distractions, anything, Lord, that would hinder... Our hearts and minds from hearing what the Spirit says. Strengthen us to that end, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we noted in last week's study is that God takes an entire chapter of this singular book to sort of prepare John and prepare us, if you will, for the final seven judgments of the tribulation period. That is just how horrifying. It's how severe and final these vile judgments are going to be. And what was that glimpse of glory, which includes all of chapter 15, the chapter before this? Well, you'll remember it begins with two songs. Two songs or hymns, if you will, in verse 3, look at it. And it says, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works lord god almighty just and true are thy ways thou king of saints now folks as we noted these two songs sung up in heaven that will be sung are very similar both in composition and in the circumstances that inspired them the first song for example is called the song of moses that song which is very long by the way is recorded in exodus chapter 15 And it's sung by Moses immediately after he and the Israelites were delivered from Pharaoh and his army. The second song, called the Song of the Lamb, this song is recorded here. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, immediately after chapter 14, where tribulation saints are delivered from the Antichrist and his army. One was sung by the Red Sea, the other is sung by the Sea of Glass. And both of them are almost identical in that they are both songs of redemption. These are songs of deliverance from the bondage, the tyranny of ungodly leadership. I'm going to tell you, and you know this is true, it is always, always extremely difficult for a people who know God and who love God to dwell in a land of ungodly leadership. So it was for Moses, and so it will be for multitudes of people in the tribulation. However, in both of these cases, there was a Redeemer. There's a Deliverer. In the pew in front of you, you'll notice that there are hymnals, or underneath if you're on the front row. These are very familiar books that include some of the great songs. Songs of the Lamb, Songs of Moses, for example. Songs and hymns of the Christian faith. In recent years, hymnals have been sort of derided as something that are outdated in some such thing. But you know what's really outdated in the minds of some people isn't the hymnal as much as the lyrics in the hymns? So that instead of the familiar titles, today, these days in our society, they'd be more comfortable with titles like, Take My Life and Let Me Be, or How Great I Art, or Tis So Sweet to Trust in Me, or She Leadeth Me, and so on and so forth. Years ago, there was a man in California whose mother was sort of Um, shut in if you will suddenly shut in she was a faithful believer she loved the hymns and the songs of her faith and she loved to sing them and her son who lived far away in the Silicon Valley in California wanted to send her a perfect gift for her 80th birthday and so he decided to send her this very very expensive parrot that he bought and trained to sing specifically the songs in the hymnal. He bought this parrot, and for an entire year, its trainer just worked and worked and worked and taught it. Taught that thing to sing 62 different hymns. What a perfect gift, right? For a poor, dear, sainted mother shut in up in the hills of Tennessee. Shortly after she got the gift, she sent her son a letter, and it said, Dear Milton, you always know what your mother enjoys. Thank you for that chicken. It was delicious. Hymns ought to be in your heart, not necessarily your stomach, amen. This hymn, this amazing hymn that's recorded in Exodus 15, the beginning of the Bible, Revelation 15, the end of the Bible, is sort of the national anthem of heaven at this time. Here's what it says in Exodus. Now, I want you to listen to the song of Moses that they're going to sing in heaven at this point in our history. I'm going to read it to you, okay? Moses is singing, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, he is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? That's the song of Moses. Now look at the song of the Lamb. They're singing both of them virtually at the same time. Verse 3 of our text. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Why? Why did Moses... And these tribulation saints sing the same thing. Why do they sing about the holiness and the glory and the power and the truth and the justice of God? Why sing, just and true are thy ways. Great and marvelous are thy works, for thou alone art holy. Why that refrain? I can tell you why. Why? Because in both of these cases, the leaders that they were under claimed to be God and ruled with injustice, with deceit, with great evil. Even the spiritual leaders in both of these cases could not be trusted. And you know, they sang these songs in Exodus. Moses is saying this, thank you. Thank you, God, that you're not like unto Pharaoh. And then in Revelation, thank you, the saints are crying out. Thank you, God, that you're not like unto Satan or Caesar or Antichrist. It was a song of recognition, and it was also a song of redemption. Listen again. This is another verse out of Moses' song. He says, Thou and thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Our text says the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Why is it the song of the Lamb? redeemed redemption it was the blood of the lamb pictured back then shed now that brought them and paid for their redemption they were slaves in Egypt just like you and I used to be slaves to sin so yes God takes an entire chapter to show us that what they're doing in heaven is singing singing about redemption before showing us the last and the worst judgments of this book. They're called the seven vials. The Greek word also means bowls. They're seven vials of judgment, and one of the most obvious things about these judgments is that they they correspond almost exactly to the seven trumpet judgments, and they're almost identical to the plagues back in Egypt. In fact, I suppose the best way to describe these seven vials is just look at them as an intensification of what we read about with the seven trumpets. For example, chapter 16, verse 2. The first angel, the first, went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. Now, folks, if you have a really good memory or you've read Revelation recently, you will recognize these judgments from the seven trumpets way back in chapter 8 and chapter 9. The difference here is that instead of one-third of living things in the sea dying, as it did earlier, every living thing thing in the sea now dies. And by the way, it's sort of a reminder of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about the tribulation period. He said that except those days should be shortened, limited to seven years, no flesh would be saved. Under the seals, one-fourth of mankind dies. Under the trumpets, one-third of the remaining of mankind and sea life dies. But now we come to the vials. And the vials are more all-encompassing. Remember last week we said, it is done. This is it. This is the finish. This is God judging the world. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I still don't understand this. I don't see how a loving God, the creator of so much beauty, the oceans and the mountains, the animals, how He could bring judgment to the world like this. That's probably exactly why the Holy Spirit gave us verse 5. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. You follow that? So the song says you're holy, you're righteous, you're not like us, you're omniscient. And now, as the vials are being poured out, it says, You're righteous, and that's the reason why. Thou hast judged thus or thusly. This angel, angels of the water, is clear. The eternal God, the God who was and is and shall always be, is a righteous God. And He judges thus because He's righteous. Verse 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, And thou hast given them the blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are... In other words, folks, look. We are not God. We're not. We are not holy and righteous and omniscient as God is. So whenever it comes to the actions of judgment against sin and evil... It's really best for us to trust a God who is righteous and who is holy. And besides, one of the things that we're reminded of over and again in the book of Revelation is that evil men, it is that wicked hearts cannot be changed from the outside of the grace of God anyway. Look at what it says, verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power is given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. Wait, what? They blasphemed the name of God? Why do they fall on their knees and say, we're sorry, we repent. You are God. Verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and repented no. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You see, folks, this this is the diluted population of the earth now. For people who ultimately reject the love and the grace and the mercy of God, which is extended all over the world at this very moment, those who reject the gift of God's own Son, Jesus, God's judgment here is not some sort of last-ditch effort to change their hearts. By this time, that's why we said we believe it is done. By this time, what it is is the only way to rid the world of murderers Rapists, pedophiles, blasphemers. So that what these seven vials represent is the end. The end of sin. The end of evildoers. The end of Satan. And sorrow. And suffering on this earth. And folks, can we just admit this and say this? And I'm on live stream so the whole anybody in the wide-eyed world that wants to hear it can hear it. If you're the least bit skeptical about this, if you still think that God is mean, And there are people in the world who believe that the God of this book and what we're reading now is mean. If you think that enlightened man in our enlightened society in this 21st century, that they're the ones that are loving and kind, just take a moment to consider what the most enlightened and most sophisticated, tolerant, educated, caring people in human history are currently doing. These are the people right now on Twitter who control Hollywood, who control academia, our media, and our politics. They have riches and they have power. And what do they do with these these enlightened and wonderful and caring and loving people? What do they do with all of that influence? They fanatically push an agenda that targets and encourages grade schoolers to explore their sexuality and deny their God-given gender. They defend and protect and coddle and make heroes out of violent criminals, while at the same time marginalizing and shaming the actual victims of these assaults, these thefts, and these murders. Those are the people that are going to bring in the peace in the world. 35 people were shot in Chicago last weekend, just this past weekend. Now, think about this for a minute, because I lived in Chicago for five years. And it was a great town, honestly, as far as cities go. But picture the emergency rooms just this past weekend. You've been to an emergency room. I remember going to the emergency room in St. Mary's when Louise was taken there. And, and I remember seeing a trail of blood going in and how horrifying it was but picture the emergency rooms and the trauma units and the devastated, sorrowing families and the neighborhood fear and all the distressed police officers and little children growing up with the memory of blood literally flowing in their sidewalks. 33, 35, that's basically now every weekend in Chicago just over and over and over and over again flooding emergency rooms with little children and teenagers were shot and killed not to mention New York and LA and San Francisco and Baltimore and it goes on here's my question who cares about them who in the seats of finance and power in our country really really cares chicago mercantile mayor lightfoot Governor Pritzer? Governor Pritzer has passed out thousands and thousands of pardons in Illinois to low-level criminals. Okay, that's fine. But what about the victims of them? What about people who try to play by the rules? Major corporations offering 5,000 dollars in cash to any woman who wants to have an abortion and needs to travel far away. You know what I say to that? I say, really, how much cash is Dick Sporting Goods or Disney going to give to young mothers who don't want to have an abortion but want to bring forth a life, and they're just as poor? Where's the compassion for them? And yes, these are the exact same people whose ideas and policies perpetuate violence and pain and bloodshed and theft and injustice... These are the ones who look at the God of the Bible and say, he's a mean God. He's a vengeful God. Folks, I do not worry about what people outside of the family say about our father. They don't know our father. Verse 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Ooh. That sounds ominous, does it not? That ought to really remind you of the seven trumpets again, because back in chapter 9, it was the sixth trumpet. The four angels that were bound by the river Euphrates were loosed so that 200 million from the east could, could march. Could march Where? Verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. You know, beloved, this is an amazing prophecy. This This is going to happen. The river Euphrates has always been, for many centuries, sort of a natural barrier between the east and the west. It's a natural barrier. That also represents a spiritual one because these angels, these demons are bound right now at that place. On the other hand, Megiddo has always been for centuries a scene of battle. Napoleon called it the perfect ideal battlefield. And so what the Bible tells us is that behind what we cannot see, what we can see behind that, God has kept these evil demons bound at this river so as to prevent the East from coming against his people prematurely. You know, people love to quote Rudyard Kipling's famous line, East is East, and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. Kipling, of course, grew up in India. But you almost never hear people quote the entire line. Because what he said was, East is East, and West is West, and never the twain shall meet, till... Earth and sky stand presently at God's great judgment seat. He's referring to this. In other words, yes, east and west shall come together at a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And of course, the entire reason for this, beloved, is to allow Satan, the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet to go to war against God remind you again by this time the antichrist has his world kingdom fully in place the image of the idol that satan has set up in the temple at jerusalem is being worshipped as god the world is engaged in universal universal idolatry deception is complete believers have been martyred and the earth is finally satan's domain completely it's his domain Except for one thing. Now it's being completely destroyed. All of these judgments have affected the earth. And especially earth's environment. So that now Satan is absolutely and obviously desperate. Remember what happened back in chapter 12. The Bible says he was cast down to the earth and never allowed access into heaven again. This was it. This is his final last stand. And so this is all he has And this is all rebellious man has left. Pastor, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is. So he still has the atmosphere, Pastor. Look at verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. You see, folks, essentially, it is the kingdom of the Antichrist and the deceptive religion, one world religion of the false prophet. And the entire world of Satan and rebellious man that's being destroyed in this moment. The whole kingdom is falling down. And that false peace and that false prosperity that the world wanted without God, peace, peace, and there was no peace, it's exposed. Don't forget what the fifth angel poured out his vial upon. Verse 10, look at it. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. You know, anybody who's ever seen the opening ceremonies of any Olympics ever, just look at them. If you can stomach it. Say, oh, I love the opening of ceremonies and the closing of ceremonies. They're beautiful and pageantry and there's so many skills and so forth. Look closely at it. And all you will see is a pantheistic one world celebration of humanity. You will not see any mention or notion of God. Ever. Same thing if you remember Epcot had their illuminations? It was all about light. And almost every opening ceremony of every Olympics is always using light, and it's about light. And Epcot, if you've ever been to Illuminations, I've, I've watched that when the boys were little and thought to myself, man, this is the most humanistic, pantheistic thing I've ever seen. That people would fall down, not just the, I'm talking about the workers, the planners, if there was one mention of God in those ceremonies. With all of that light, there is no light. There is no light without Christ. And the fact that God judges the beast and his kingdom here with darkness, isn't that interesting? He attacks the seat with darkness. It is a reminder that Satan, the Bible says, masquerades as an angel of light. But he's actually full of darkness. The air itself, which is the abode, right now even, of demons and Satan's princely powers. Even that endures the judgment of God. And what happens? Notice verse 21, would you? And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, and the plague thereof was exceeding great. That came from the air, when the air was judged. It's amazing again to me that even at the very, very, very end, it is done. People blaspheme God, even here. And but let me say this. Because there's something very significant about this judgment and this wrath that is exercised against those who reject Jesus Christ. I remind you that not far from this scene is Megiddo again, right? God also brought darkness into the world there and also poured out his wrath there. Not far from Megiddo, there was a place called Calvary. And God poured out his wrath. And the Bible says that darkness was upon the face. So that we must never forget, beloved, that the wrath of God that Jesus endured at Calvary is infinitely worse than even what the world is experiencing here. And of course, this is exactly what makes God's grace and God's salvation so amazing. Folks, if you accept Christ by faith, do you realize that you will not ever endure the wrath of God? You might endure the chastisement of God, but the Bible says that a father who loves his child chastens his child. That's love. But if you're a child of God, saved by the blood of Christ, you will never go through the wrath of God. Because Jesus took all that wrath for you. God poured all of His wrath on His Son so that those who simply believe in the Son and trust in the Son would pass from condemnation and unto life. Put it this way. You take all of the wrath and all of the judgment that we've been studying for these several weeks. All that wrath, the trumpets, the seals, the vials, the horrors, You add to that all the vile wickedness of this world that we see here and the world we live in right now. All of the sin and the wickedness of the world. Put all of it on the one sinless Son of God as the payment for your sin. And tell me then how you or I will ever stand before God and claim that we can add to that. That we can add to that sacrifice by our good works or our religion, our efforts to be faithful. No. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So in a very powerful way, the wrath and the judgment in Revelation just highlights for us the depth of God's grace. So that just as surely as those who reject Christ and accept the mark of the beast are doomed because God is faithful and true, so too are those who accept Christ guaranteed they shall never perish. A child of God cannot be touched by the wrath of God because Jesus is his mediator and God is faithful and true. You see... If God allows it, a child of God can be touched by the wrath of man. It happens. It's happened all through history, the wrath of man. But as Jesus told his disciples, fear not him which is able to destroy the body. The worst thing that Satan can do, that's even if God permits it. The worst thing is to make your heart stop beating. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. But as we've seen over and over in Revelation, all that the wrath of man and Satan has ever accomplished against the saints is just give them an early welcome into glory. Verse 17 again, look at it, would you? And the seventh angel poured out his vial in the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. You know, folks, I think it's glorious to know that one day it's just going to all be done. God gave us this so that we would read it today and believe it today, that one day it's just going to be done. Pastor, I turn on the news and I read this and I heard this and I said, yeah, I know, but one day that's going to be done. Pastor, I'm in pain and I've got a diagnosis, and my best friend, and this, someone just said that the, this wife left her husband. And it's just one day, all that stuff's going to be done. As far as the tribulation is concerned, this is the final judgment. And as we're going to see in chapter 19, chapter 20, and 21, what awaits in eternity is just just wonderful beyond description. No more tears, no more death, no sorrow, no sin, and we're going to study that for sure. But before we get there, next week, God wants to tell us about Babylon. Revelation 17, 18 describe this one-world religion, one-world economy, one-world government, and how it all ends up here in the Battle of Armageddon. The entire grand scheme of Babylon with all of its riches goes all the way back. Satan is Satan. He doesn't change. With all of its riches, it will come to absolutely nothing. Verse 19, look at it. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. All the great cities fall. You ever think about this? You know, 9 11, two buildings, three, fell. Two buildings in one city, and it affected the whole world, still does. That's just two buildings. Can you imagine what happens, the Bible says here, to the genius, I put it in air quotes, of the beast economic system? All the cities. We noted last week how 19, 19 different nations in Europe just went ahead and embraced the euro resigned themselves, eliminated their currency that's been around for many, many centuries, the Deutsche Mark and the Lira and the Franc. I guess there's nothing wrong with that except this. That genius so-called, that economic system is going to fall like that. All of it. So you imagine the whole system of the new world order collapsing so that the euro, or the Eno, whatever it's going to be called then, it's useless And suddenly Satan's whole house of cards just comes crashing down. i remind you that this is the world kingdom and it's coming. In fact, you can see the shadow. It's coming. Here's the shadow. You can see the shadow of that system already taking place today. It's the last world empire that Daniel spoke of thousands of years ago. And as such, it is the most evil, pernicious kingdom that that has ever existed or ever will exist. The kingdom of the beast becomes a kingdom of lies. And against that kingdom with these seven vials, these grievous sores upon those who took the mark of the beast, the water is destroyed, nothing to drink. Think of that. The sun scorches, the darkness engulfs the earth, Armageddon commences, an earthquake like the world has never seen rocks the entire planet. Giant hailstones fall from heaven. They crush the rebellious. And they still repent not to give him glory. And they still blaspheme his name. And now, just as Satan is about to annihilate what's left of God's planet, heaven opens. And he that is called faithful and true will come forth with all of the heavenly hosts following. That giant, amazing army of saints. And you know what they're going to do to defeat Satan? Just watch. Because the Bible says that Jesus, with the word of his mouth, it's done. It's over. It's finished. It's not some great battle like you saw in Lord of the Rings. It's just Jesus speaks. And it's over. Babylon is gone. The same Babylon God tells us about in the chapters to follow we'll look at. And we will look at it. But let us sing the song of Moses. Let's sing the song of the Lamb. Being grateful that, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that you're not like unto Pharaoh or our president or any earthly leader. Thank you that you are just and holy and true. You know, I was thinking about God's judgment upon the sea. And I remember when the boys were little, I went to Living Seas. And they had that presentation. Almost all the presentations, I hate to say it, in all these places are just so pantheistic. And I remember the first line, it says, from the sea comes life. Okay. And then it went on to talk about water. Water is life, life is water. And then right after that, we went to those little uh, sort of machines that you can, computers they had back in the old days. They don't have them anymore. And then it was talking about biology, the one I was messing with. And it said, from blood comes life. True. From water comes life, from blood comes life. Both of those judged by God. Judged by God. I thought about that when I was at Epcot that day when they were little. And it reminded me of when Jesus hung at Calvary. And out of our Lord came both blood and water. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that from water comes life and from blood comes life. Most importantly, eternal life from your Son. Thank you that as we read about these judgments and the severe wrath poured upon this world, that we're reminded, Father, that anyone at any time who comes to Christ for salvation, that your wrath will never be poured upon them. Thank you for the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray we will hear it, be blessed by it, be strengthened by it, and changed by it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen. Hey, glad you're saved. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.